anytime you disrupt a space, there's going to be a lot of haters. And I think another challenge for me was getting comfortable with people attacking Bush and attacking me being a part of it because we were doing something new and disrupting the space. And that to me was a sign, okay, we're on the right track because we're making a lot of people angry here. So let's keep, keep doing this. And you have to lose your ego and just chase the goal, chase the vision. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Chris Chapman, senior sports scientist at Whoop. He's also the lead strength and conditioning coach of the Big Air and Slope Style Ski Team for Freestyle Canada. Chris is certified as a strength and conditioning specialist, exercise physiologist, sports scientist, Olympic weightlifting coach, track and field coach, and he holds a master's degree in biomechanics. And if those qualifications aren't enough, and they really should be, folks, come on, Chris has coached athletes for seven Olympic Games, both summer and winter. Our conversation today focuses on the future of strength tracking and performance research, and I truly hope you enjoy. Chris is a lot of fun to talk to, and I had a great time on this one. In case it wasn't clear, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Whoop. The Whoop 4.0 has more capabilities than ever for the strength athlete, some of which we talk about in this episode. Find out more at whoop.com today. Now let's get on with the show. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. We're going to be talking about strength training, how we quantify that, how we get better, how we recover. Before we dive into some of the science, we got to get to know you a little bit. So give us the Chris Chapman rundown, if you don't mind. Sure thing. Well, first, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I've been a strength coach for the last 20 years, primarily in Canadian Olympic sport. My first foray into strength training was grade 10 weightlifting class in high school, and I kind of got hooked on it then. I wasn't a gifted athlete, so I had to work for everything. Went to university for kinesiology, studied physiology, athletic therapy, but found myself gravitating towards the gym. I was personal training. I was trying to pay for school. Um, and long story short, just decided, let's go down the strength conditioning path. I wanted a career in sport. But I knew I wasn't good enough to be an athlete in anything. Jack of all trades, master of none. I, I feel that, by the way, that resonates very closely with me. Those who can't, those who can't do coach, those who can't coach. I'm kidding, but those who can't coach, <laughs> uh, write about strength sports. And that's where I ended up. So it's just so we're we're kindred spirits there. Yeah, well, we're passionate about it. That's that's what really matters. And I just started chasing that, and um, you know, found a mentor. I uh, became an assistant at the university I went to. Then got into the Canadian Sport Institute world. I was a high school strength coach for two years. And then I spent 10 years working for the Canadian government, non-for-profit that supports our Olympic athletes, similar to the USOC. Went back to school. Everyone was talking movement in the mid to late 2000s. And something wasn't adding up. So I went back and did a master's in quantitative biomechanics to learn how to measure movement using force plates and motion capture and IMUs and all that stuff. And then I got... Pigeonholed pretty early into acrobatic sports and aesthetic sports, coming from a martial arts background and a, and a dance background. You know, I got given trampoline was my first national team and they liked what I did. So then I was figure skating 
then I got into all these athletic sports and leads me to my role now. And with, uh, the Canadian Olympic freestyle ski team with the big air and slope style team as their strength coach. And then parallel to all that working in sport tech, I've been in sport tech for about 10 years, started with a company called push. Um, I came on as their resident sports scientist and, you know, helped develop that product from, from early days. Uh, I was a very early adopter in Canada using linear position transducers. So the, the strings you attach to the barbell to measure speed and power, I was using those in the late 2000s. And then fast forward to pretty recently, Whoop decided to acquire Push, and that's how I joined Whoop. They were trying to solve weightlifting problems and saw our company with the solution. So they basically scooped us up and wanted all the expertise. And now I work on building weightlifting products with Whoop. That's where we are today. I want to dive into your work with aesthetic sports because when when listeners to the, of the Barbin podcast hear aesthetic sports, they probably think bodybuilding because yes. because we cover a lot of that, which which is in, in a sense right. It's it's a it's a physique sport. Aesthetic sports, uh, you know, are you're talking about figure skating, trampoline, um, big air. What are some of the challenges that maybe the general casual viewer who maybe only sees those every time the winter olympics roll around might not know about the sports the training for those sports and the preparation for those sports yeah i mean that's a very interesting topic uh there's a lot of things that aren't considered in a lot of other sports like how you look matters and style matters and flow and all these things that are very hard to quantify you know the the gym stuff we know we know they need strength, power, uh, agility, balance, all that that stuff that classically we've done in the gym. But they need all that. Then they need to make it look pretty. And then you add the extreme side of it when you get into the freestyle sports, the big air, the BMX, the skateboarding. And then there's a high risk component where on any given day you could get injured and sometimes you can die. And you have to manage the whole mental side of the, of overcoming the fear. So there's, there's a lot more at risk and a lot more, um, on the table for those athletes. And that's what I'm fascinated by is, you know, we use the gym not to build, you know, all, not only to build the physical robustness and resilience, but to build confidence. So you know, that when things go wrong, you're not going to break or that you can land when you go further than you're supposed to go, you have the strength to absorb that landing. I do want to talk a little bit about you being an early adopter of some of these techniques and tools. For example, a velocity measurement for a barbell, right? Uh, that's something that we have seen in the last five to six years become more widely adopted. And it's not so strange to walk into a powerlifting gym now and you see someone uh, with an attachment to a barbell and they're measuring their velocity and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out, use that as a training tool to figure out their sticking points and, and where they should train bar path, things like that, and bar speed. Now, I can imagine in doing that in 2007, 2008, 2009, people probably thought you were a mad scientist, which is, by the way, not necessarily a bad thing because mad scientists get a lot done. What are some other tools or methodologies that you were kind of on the, the early side of that you now see becoming much more commonplace and really accepted as a best practice of training for sport? Aside from velocity-based training, I think... Isometric training is one that, you know, we've been doing for ages in some of the sports I worked with. Um, 
you know, we would build rigs for paddlers. I worked with our Olympic canoe kayak team where it would be mimicking their canoe stance and there'd be a chain to a paddle and they'd be pulling at different angles. Or, you know, during the pandemic, I got all my athletes to build isometric rigs where it was basically wood with eye hooks with chains to a bar and we do whole workouts via video you know doing different isometric deadlifts and isometric squats at different angles and you're seeing more and more you know you when you're in this game long enough you see things come full circle and isometrics were big way back in the day and you're seeing them make a, a whole big return in the last couple of years so um, that's one that i still use and i will always use because you know it's maximum force at a single moment there's no movement so it's just how much force can you produce in that position are you going to release publicly the schematics for your isometric your your isometric setup so people can replicate this at home because i'm trying to imagine this and i'm trying to think like should i make a trip to the hardware store actually i did film it all and i did release it um, on youtube i think i took those videos down but maybe they go up again um, I wasn't the first one to create it. I actually got the idea from a colleague and I've seen other videos online, but we just tweaked it. And now we even have a portable version we travel with because there's places we go, we can't get into gyms. So it's how do we create force when we're on the road? That that's that's fascinating. I might need to make a I might need to make a hardware store trip after this. If you release those, if you release those again, you could you could potentially brand that. Let's talk a little bit about the work you were doing with Push. Now, now obviously a, a part of Whoop, and I remember Push uh, a while ago because I've I've been in the strength content sphere even pre Barbend, and I remember Push the 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 pitch that the PR pitch that I remember, and I'm probably butchering this was, Hey, how do we, how do we measure strength training? Right. How do we quantify strength training? Obviously we know sets and reps, right? We know sets, reps, weight, but force production, making it more individualized so that training and adaptation could become bespoke to the individual. That's a tough egg to crack. And it's something that, you know, no one 10 years ago, Certainly no one had a roadmap of like, hey, here's exactly how we're going to tackle this and solve this, right? Um, talk a little bit about your work, your early work with Push, because I'm curious as to how that evolved and how the technology is going to be used kind of moving forward. Yeah. So the how I got involved, you know, I had a, a Tendo and a Joomla. We had these two string, different string pod devices. And this is back when the, the Joomla had a Palm Pilot and the thing would disconnect all the time and both systems had a lot of friction so i was manually typing numbers in excel and it just became more uh, a data crunch than me coaching and i was like how do we remove all this and it was just funny that the ceo of push at the time was building a prototype in the basement landed on my desk and i was like this vision is amazing how do i get involved because uh, I see you solving all the problems. I see this as the next generation of weightlifting tech. And the other thing I was doing, I was measuring a lot of jumps. And that's how we measure uh, you know, neuromuscular performance and fatigue. It's an easy way to do it everywhere. So I was traveling with an LPT, a, a string pod, and uh, a jump mat. And I wanted to combine these into one. And this new accelerometer device was this big and you could put it in your pocket and travel with it everywhere and it could do both. So I was, when I heard the vision, I was sold instantly and that's how I got involved. And from there, it was us just disrupting and trailblazing the space. You know, let's, 
let's take the junk testing as far as we can, you know, and let's make it valid and accurate. And then let's take specifically the velocity and power in the gym. You know, we can measure strength. How much weight can you lift? How many reps can you lift it for? But lifting a hundred pounds and lifting a hundred pounds as fast as possible are two very different things. And in classical sets times reps times weight, they show up the exact same. So the whole point was, okay, how do we start to quantify the speed of movement and the power? Because in, in athletic performance, that stuff matters way more than just how much you can lift for a lot of non-strength sports. Okay. So what did those iterations look like? And as far as like how the tech was manifested or how, how folks used it, like talk about some of the original push devices, what were some of the hurdles and roadblocks you all had to overcome as you iterated on that? I mean, the device didn't change too much. It's an inertial motion unit, which is the same sensor we now use in Whoop. And it was a wearable. And the original vision was that it's on you all the time and it's measuring everything. We eventually, one of the barriers was in team training and group training. A lot of people didn't want to wear it and they just wanted to measure barbell. So we ended up developing so that you could put it on the barbell and it would measure just barbell. The other big limitations was just around the validity and reliability and adding an exercise database. Hmm. You know, you start with a squat, pretty simple. You start with a, a bench press, pretty simple. And there was an accelerometer before called MyoTest and they only did those two exercises. So building the exercise database, you know, and credit to our our current principal data scientist at Whoop, Vahid, he is an algorithm genius that him and I sitting beside each other made the magic happen. He could turn the signals from the IMU into the data we wanted. So that basically allowed us to start quantifying all these exercises. And we ended up having around five to 700 in the end that you could measure, you know, more than most people need. It doesn't <laughs> need to be that complex. Yeah. Um, and then... Over the years, it was making it more valid so that the hardcore scientists, it would stand up to their rigor that they would use it. You know, for the general consumer, it was accurate and reliable enough. But as a scientist myself, the goal was I want it so that I can use it, you know, in the lab and it's that quality. So it was just over the years, chasing higher validity and reliability and just gaining acceptance. Anytime you disrupt a space, there's going to be a lot of haters. And I think another challenge for me was getting comfortable with people attacking Bush and attacking me being a part of it because we were doing something new and disrupting the space. And that to me was a sign, okay, we're on the right track because we're making a lot of people angry here. So let's keep, keep doing this. And you have to lose your ego and just chase the goal, chase the vision. How has Push's technology been integrated into Whoop? Yeah, so the the main thing is the IMU sensor, they're, they're in your phones, they're in everything. Whoop has an inertial motion unit, and that's an accelerometer, which measures acceleration in three dimensions, and a gyroscope, which measures your velocity in three dimensions. So the hardware is very similar from measuring the biomechanics. So now it was moving the hardware to the wrist where it's worn and changing the algorithm to give it the ability to track weightlifting um, from that and then building a, a software suite to go with it. So the problem we were trying to solve is that classically, Whoop is a physiology tool. It measures your, your cardiovascular strain and your heart rate 
You know, it does a bunch of recovery stuff as well. But say a CrossFitter or a strength trainer goes and does a, a very heavy session, they're not getting any credit for it because the heart rate response may not be proportional to the effort because it's primarily neuromuscular. So that's where instead of just physiology, by using the accelerometer, we're now measuring biomechanics or physics. So we can actually measure the movement profile of each repetition you're doing in the gym and get, you know, the, the acceleration, the speed, the, the 3D physics of it. And we can start to quantify the movement. How long did it take? And this, this might be a, this might be a very loaded question for a, for a research a technology scientist. How long did it take post pushes team integration into whoop to adapt the technology, uh, so that it could be consumer facing? Took uh, just about over a year from us working on it full time to launch. I don't know the exact time, but it was a it was a heavy lift, uh, pun intended. It took a lot of people from a lot of different departments: hardware, software, data science, you know, product algorithms, and it it, it wasn't an easy task, you know, because Whoop had their own hardware already, so adapting hardware that was optimized for the weight room into hardware that was optimized for 24-hour physiology monitoring. It was a challenge, but we have impressed with everyone. I'd say we succeeded with the, the release of Strength Trainer and a Muscular Strain, and that's just the first iteration. Mm. So it's an ongoing process that, you know, there's a long-term vision here to make it the one-stop shop, and uh, it's going to be a, a couple more years till we achieve that full vision. But, you know, now that we got the big hurdle out of the way of the integration, I see a lot of exciting things coming. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about strength training and muscular strain for the end user. How is this different than the previous whoop experience? You, you talked a little bit about physiology versus, versus biomechanics and movement. And, you know, what, what grade would you all give yourself as far as the, this current first iteration of strength training and muscular strain. Yeah. So the biggest difference, if you go and do a strength training workout before it would just take your cardiovascular strain into account and, you know, you'd get a pretty low score. Now, if you use the strength trainer, which, which you input your workout, tracks your sets and reps and weight measures, you start and stop it. And it measures the movement of each rep you're doing. It's giving you a much more accurate strain. And we're collecting before where it was just physiological. Now it's musculoskeletal and neuromuscular. The way the, the biomechanics are working under the hood, we're capturing the, the physics of what you're doing. And, you know, we spend a lot of time, uh, we have a lot of smart physics people there creating a model. We wanted it to be based in first principle science. So Newtonian mechanics and we tried to stay true to it as much as possible while creating a new metric that would align. So now you have cardiovascular strain and you have muscular strain. So it's just going to give you a lot more credit and more accurate total strain for any strength training you're doing. And now the vision, one thing, one requirement that we put on ourselves is that can this muscular strain algorithm also transfer to running, to cycling? to whatever other modes of activity you're doing. And so that's where it's going to go in the future is that you'll get a, a muscular skeletal strength component 
for any activity you're doing like you get with a cardiovascular rate. Which makes sense. It's all integrated. If you go run a half marathon, uh, it's going to impact your squat performance the next day and vice versa, right? And I think that when you talk about the early vision for push and your early visions for what strength tech could be, I I do see your eyes kind of light up. People can't see this because we're not releasing the video, but I see your eyes light up when you when you kind of imply this integrated kind of one-stop shop to measure performance, output, recovery, and strain. And it seems like while we're not quite there yet, the integration of pushes technology into Whoop for you is maybe one of the last big hurdles in getting those things integrated. Would that be correct or accurate to say? Yeah. And I think the the biggest problem Whoop solves for me is measuring those 22 hours we're not in the gym mm. uh, as, a, as a 24 hour wearable. Or 23 hours we're not in the gym, depending <laughs> yeah. on the level of, of athleticism and training. Yeah. And just getting the the recovery piece down, you know, the, the heart rate variability, how's my autonomic nervous system responding, tracking sleep, sleep is the best performance, legal performance enhancing drug we have. So I, I do think having it all in one-stop shop, the goal is how do we make it frictionless? You know, anytime there's new tech, there's new integrations, there's always pain points and friction, but the vision over time is how do we remove that friction and make it seamless? And for me, you know, I was measuring HRV and heart rate stuff with chest straps before. And when you get an athlete in the morning to try and put on a chest strap and do a five minute, yeah, it's just the friction, they wouldn't do it for the most part. But now I just wear this 24 hours and I'm getting everything. All I have to do is charge it, you know, once a week and wear it. And it's, it's as frictionless as it could be. So the goal will be to get the strength training side as frictionless as possible as well. What are some other areas? I do want to get away. This has been super fascinating. And I know we could talk about this. The problem is we have to edit ourselves down, right? We could talk about this for a long time, uh, as I'm sure you'd be happy to do. But what are some other areas of strength and performance tech? Maybe not your particular areas of expertise, but things that excite you for the future. We might be like on the bleeding edge or we might not be like nearly realizing it yet. It might be decades in the future, but you're like, hey, if we could do this, if we could integrate this into training, recovery, and performance, it'd be really, really cool. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. You know, part I've been in such a rabbit hole because chasing this weight room tech has been a vision of mine to, to achieve it. You know, having a complete one-stop shop as well with with the programming and the reporting, you know, and full, you know, year-long periodization. In my world, it's four-year periodization and have it all auto-feedback. I think, um, you know, taking the, the recovery data and having it auto-regulate your training so mm. it sees your, your HRV's down, you had a crummy sleep, so maybe it just decreases a set off your volume but you're keeping your intensity you know there's there's a lot of ways you can micro adjust training you know so that we're still training you know we can't stop training i believe in recovery days not days completely off there's things we can do to enhance our recovery i would say two areas that i'm not actively involved in that intrigue me is you know, measuring the physiology and the lactate and, and the conditioning side, you know, there's sensors coming out where they can start to measure that stuff in real time, SMO2 sensors, 
So more in the endurance training world, we get a better idea of training zones and lactate production and recovery. Um, that's still not quite consumer friendly. And the other one I see making a lot of uh, interesting moves is markerless motion capture, mm-hmm. whether it's on your phone or it's, you know, you see them in stadiums where they have cameras all over and they track every athlete movement, seeing how far that'll go. I'm, I'm still a skeptic. You can get accurate enough for some of my use cases, but there's a lot of use cases. It's already more than accurate enough. Um, just using a single camera. So that space is very fascinating. And I think it's that that space is one to watch for sure. Well, Chris, where is the best place for people to follow along with you? Uh, the work you're doing, what comes next uh, for the wearable, uh, any and all that good stuff. Yeah, we can follow everything from Whoop at Whoop.com. You know, I'm involved uh, in helping develop everything there. Personally, uh, Chappy Strength is my handle for most social. I'm not the most active, but I do my best. And uh, yeah. There's oftentimes an inverse correlation between the amount, the amount of research someone's doing and the amount of time they're spending posting on social media. Not always the case, but uh, that that is often the case, I find. So maybe you're just a good example of that paradigm. Hey, I'm just not great at using social. I think it's uh, more I could, I could improve my skills in that space, probably. I'm trying to talk you up. You're making it difficult. No, Chris, I really appreciate it. You are a pleasure to chat uh, to chat with. I really appreciate you taking some of these concepts and distilling it down in such a way that we can understand them and we can see how that technology is impacting strength, not just for the Olympic level athletes, but for you know the day to day end user, whoop users, uh, you know people who are just trying to live healthier lives through through training and feel a little bit better. So I, I super super appreciate that, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you.